Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. Um, The best parenting advice that I've been given is to give your child unconditional love. One of the biggest pieces of advice I've heard for parents is just for them to read to their kids every night. Don't be afraid to give your kids responsibilities so that they can learn and grow. Well, what do you think of that advice? Will that kind of a tip work in your family? Today on Focus on the Family, we'll be examining the important relationship between moms and dads and children. And our goal is to help you become the best parent you can be. Thanks for joining us today. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. John, as a dad, I've really enjoyed every stage of parenting. Uh, The early years were tough because it's so demanding, right? Both of our boys had colic, and so I was up at 2 in the morning driving them around the neighborhood, putting the boys on the dryer. Not in the dryer, but just letting <laughs> to be them fair, feel the, that yeah. tumble. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was exactly 12 weeks, and it all mellowed out. But poor Jean, boy, she was so exhausted. And so that was tough, but it was still great. I remember Troy falling asleep on my chest, mm-hmm. and just every night he just lay there as I watched the news. And it, it was just something special for me. Uh, what we need to recognize is that parenting is a marathon, not a sprint. And uh, boy, when I uh, meet couples with young kids, I remind them that the days are long, but the years are short, mm-hmm. especially with both of our, all of our kids. They're all adults being now. In the 20s and yeah. 30s now. And you just, you want to cherish these days because they're so special. Today, we want to focus on those early years and give you some best practices uh, from our guest for raising your children. There's so much panic in the culture in parenting right now and so much fear. You know, they're talking about it cost over $300,000 to raise a child. You know, don't let that interfere with the blessing of having children. Because I'll tell you what, what's going to be on your tombstone is a great wife and a wonderful mom. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be all the accolades of academic achievement. Yeah. It's what happened in the family. Yeah, and we have Catherine Hill here in the studio with us. She's the UK director for Care for the Family, a sister ministry to focus on the family. And uh, Catherine is a speaker and has written a number of books about family. And she's married to Richard. They have four grown children and five grandchildren. And uh, she's written a book that we have here at the ministry. It's called, If You Forget Everything Else, Remember This, Parenting in the Primary Years. You can learn more about that book when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, or stop by the website. It's focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Catherine, welcome back to Focus. Thank you, Jim, so much. So good to see you. Last time uh, we were in Scotland, I think we were there doing a men's golf outing, and, and we were able to interview you there. We were. I didn't play golf, but I could come and <laughs> chat to you, which you was wonderful. You were welcome to join, of course. <laughs> but there we talked about marriage and great principles on keeping your marriage vibrant and alive. And today we're covering parenting. So very much Care for the Family is really, uh, in many ways, a mirrored organization to focus. I'm trying to think back when Care for the Family started. Was it about 30 years ago? 35. 35, 35 years ago, yes. So my, how the time has passed. Exactly. And that was Lyndon Bowering and, and uh, Rob Parsons and so many other friends there that got together. And we all pitched in and helped start that. So it's been great to watch the growth of Care for the Family. Let's get into it. Um, boy, you, you come with some great credentials in this area of being a professional, being a mother. Talk about that superhero myth that many, many parents, especially moms, feel. Uh, and why are we trying to be superheroes? And what are we trying to prove by doing that? There's a bunch of questions. A lot of questions, but I do think the pressure on parents today is is huge. 
Uh, so when I had R4, I had a, a, a big book. It was called The Good Housekeeping Book of Child Care. And Sounds good. It was, well, and it told me what I needed to know. But for today's parents, they're bombarded with information, um, mainly on you know social media, but you know, how to get your child to sleep, what to get them to eat, what they should be doing at what stage. And I could have used I, that book. I think some of that, well, some of that pressure now, though, I think makes parents anxious. And if we're not careful, we feel that we have to, we, we find our identity in being a successful parent, a successful mom, a successful dad, uh, whatever, however we define success. Yeah. And I know I slipped into that. I tell a story in the book. And I look back now, I'm quite embarrassed, really. But I used to really love baking cakes. And it was our daughter's fourth birthday. And I made this incredible cake. If you do uh, say so yourself. If I do say so myself. <laughs> it was, it took me ages to do. It was, um, I don't know if you have the Peter Rabbit series here oh, by yeah. Beatrix mm, Potter. Yeah. So it was a Peter Rabbit garden. But this is from scratch, I This was assume. from scratch. Scratch cake. I can't, okay. honestly. Wow. And my husband and I, we were up late at night making little carrots and little scarecrow oh, in the goodness. icing. It was what a, a great work guy. of art. Wow. <laughs> but honestly, what was I doing? Um, put it on the table. These kids wouldn't have cared if I'd bought one from the supermarket, you know, a caterpillar one with a, a candle in. They didn't care a bit. And in a moment of reflection afterwards, I thought, who was I trying to impress? And probably the other mums. And I think so easily parenting can become a bit of a, a competition if we're not careful. How do you, uh, for the moms that are viewing and listening, how, how do you reel that back in? You had that revelation. What was the next party like? Just to carry that forward in your story, what did you do to dial that down and be comfortable with it? Yeah, not just in the parties, but in every area yeah. of life. I think realizing that we don't have anything to prove. We've got to give, this is the most important task and we want to give it our best shot. But let's not look sideways at what other people are making of our parenting, looking over our shoulder. It's exhausting if we live like that. And it's it's not keeping our focus on our children. Right, either. and it, it kind of pushes into that next area I wanted to cover with you, which is guilt. And I, honestly, so many women that we interview, moms and wives, and women have a profound capacity to look at themselves first. But that also comes in with loading guilt on that I didn't do this right. Or, I mean, men, I think our egos are too much that we go, ah, it's not us, it's the other guy. Women are the exact, generally, to me, are the exact opposite. It's mm -hmm. like they really look at themselves first and say, where did I fail? Yeah. How does that, that mom guilt build up? And I think you had not a funny story, but a dramatic story in London yeah. where the mom guilt really hit you. What it happened? It certainly did. So um, we had our four children who were something like two, four, six, and eight. And we also had one of my sister's boys with us. And we'd managed to navigate London uh, on the, I think you call it the subway, on yeah, the, the London tube. Underground. <laughs> and uh, with all these children, and we'd been to some of the sites, and we'd got back to the station. And I was just patting myself on the back about what a great day out it had been and how we'd managed really well. And then our older two had an argument about getting into our car because there was a seat in the back that they didn't want to sit in. You had to be faced backwards. <laughs> That's that seat. That's that seat. They were having a row. And um, I said, for goodness sake, if you can't behave, you'll have to walk home. And we all got in the car and off we drove to my sister's house. So this is London. Um, it's about five o'clock in the evening, so it's going dark. And we drove probably about one and a half miles. And then George, our oldest, said, where's Charlotte? And I looked around and for, to start with, I thought he was joking. I thought she was hiding under the coats or something on the floor of the car. And then I realized she wasn't in the car. Mm. And we had 
left her behind. Honestly, it was the most it was the most terrible moment. And uh, so we did a, a U-turn and in all this rush hour traffic, people tooting us and drove back. And she wasn't where we had left her, where we'd parked the car. So I got out and I was running up and down different roads. And I wouldn't be telling you this story probably if we hadn't found her. Right, um, but right. we did eventually find her and she was walking up and down crying. And what had happened is she had um, stormed off down the road thinking that we would pick her up. But she hadn't noticed that the car was facing the other direction. I hadn't taken a roll call. And... Um, We'd driven off without her. Honestly, it was the moment of, even now when I'm telling you, I, I can feel my heart racing at yeah. how terrible a moment it was. And she honestly thought we'd left her behind in, in London. Yeah, on purpose. On purpose. That's not good. No. Did she go to counseling? And uh, well, did she work we, that we, out? We have talked about <laughs> it afterwards. But um, let me ask you, I mean, some of that, that's, that sounds almost like a label I would give reasonable guilt. I mean, wow, I left my child behind. That's not good. It's not good. But but how, how do you, again, how do you as a mom get over those coincidences, those things that happen that, you know, they just happen when you're overwhelmed? Exactly. I think guilt does come with the territory in parenting. And we can feel guilty if they don't eat their broccoli, if they pinch their siblings if they're not doing well at school if um if we feel that they're not doing the things that society expects them to be doing at that particular stage or age so often as mums um we we start looking at ourselves and we think what have I done wrong what could I do better and sometimes there are things that we can do yeah. better but generally guilt isn't a good thing um it just holds us back and weighs us down and God doesn't want us to go around with that weight of guilt actually right. so we can bring it to him and we can then work out you know what are the things that we can do what are the things that we can change um the differences we can make and what are the things that actually just are our children being themselves mm. um being the personalities that they have having the gifts that they have and just allowing them to be the people that god's made them to be that's so good yeah it's so true coming back for a moment to that comparison the parent comparison trap um you warn moms and dads about the dangers of that comparison. And, and we always want to do what's best for our children, but we're always checking to see other families and how they compared ours. Our thing was with Trent being such a big guy, it was always his height. Oh, yeah, he was like 110% of the growth cycle. I think back at that, I go, what a stupid fool I was. <laughs> I mean, because it's, you know, it's, no, it's just part of the genetic thing, right? And uh, I always had to reel that in and remind myself it's not a big deal. Uh, but back when you were first learning how to drive, you had a good lesson, I think out of Proverb, a good lesson. Oh, and yeah. what, what happened with learning how to drive when you were a teenager? Probably? Uh, yeah, that's right. So I just got my driving license and it was one of the first times that I'd been allowed out in, in the car on my own. So I was a bit nervous. And I came to this really narrow bit of road with cars parked either side. And I just froze. I, I just don't know that I can do this. And I was edging forward but worse there was a big queue of cars behind me oh, people yeah. getting irritated tooting their horns and then this wonderful lady got out of the car and she just stood in front she beckoned me forward and she was saying just keep your eyes on me keep your eyes on me don't look sideways don't look sideways and through I got this little bit of driving out to the other side and yeah afterwards I reflected that there's a proverb that says exactly that you know mm. let your eyes look straight before you your gaze be straight ahead I think and yeah that's a not a bad lesson for parenting as well. Right. Don't be distracted by that comparison yeah. situation. I think that's great. You shared a story in the book I thought was terrific. Mrs. M, 
Oh, I mean, yes. it even comes with that. <laughs> I'm hearing the piano. Bum, 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 bum. What happened with Mrs. M in church? And I think so many moms can relate to this. Yeah, well, she's a very sweet friend. But honestly, she had these three perfect children. And they would turn up on time for church. They wouldn't need any kind of entertainment. They'd just be sitting as if they were listening. They're all, you know, shiny shoes, all beautifully, beautifully done out, sitting still for the whole service. And Amazing. nearly always our sort of ragbag of a family, we'd, we'd come in, we'd usually be a little bit late, three boys and a girl, and we'd quite often find ourselves sitting uh, just in front of her. And our boys would be wrestling on the floor half the time, and I'd be trying to keep order. And she'd so often, and I don't think she meant it unkindly, but she would uh, just say, oh, you do have your hands full. And I would feel terrible. Right. I really would. And think, why can't our children behave and sit still in church? But anyway, I'd probably missed, missed the point in that one as well. And again, comparison wasn't a good thing. And I so easily went down that guilt route and also judged what was going on in their, in their spiritual lives by whether they were sitting still in church, which probably wasn't the right measure either. Before you raised four children, uh, you were a successful lawyer, as we would say here in the U.S., and uh, it gave you a perspective. I don't know the number of years you were in the law field, but uh, you can let us know. And then you shifted to being at home full-time mom. So many women, not just in the U.S., but around the world, especially Western countries, Canada, U.S., U.K., Western Europe, have experienced this tug. Talk about that a minute and give some perspective about how you dealt with it. In terms of work and then being at home. Yeah, yeah. identity. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So, uh, yeah, so I trained as a lawyer. And actually, that is what gave me the heart for families because I did family law. Oh, and goodness. so I was uh, upfront really with all the tragedy when family life hasn't worked out often as people had hoped. Well, so, that's a front row seat um, to, to yeah. tragedy. And it gave me it gave me the heart to want to you know work in the area yeah. of prevention and you know wonderfully ended up with care for the family. But yeah, for me in many ways, I loved my job. I loved I loved being a lawyer. I loved being able to help people. Um, but deep down, I really always wanted to be a mum. So in many ways for me, it wasn't a difficult decision to uh, to stop work and to um, to spend time at home. But I think for some mums, it is hard. And uh, particularly if you've really loved your career and um, found your identity in it. Mm -hmm. Then I do remember in the early days with our son, our oldest one, when he was born, he was he cried quite a lot as a tiny baby. And I remember about three weeks in thinking, oh, my goodness, I think I made a terrible mistake is I actually felt quite bored. Um, and it was quite hard to admit that because I thought this was going to be a wonderfully fulfilling thing. And it felt a bit boring because um, all the fun of the office and the kind of excitement of life in the workplace just wasn't there anymore. And, uh, and that took a little bit of time to work through. But I think that issue of identity is mm. one that that hits many mums, because when we have a baby, we we, it feels our identity's gone out of the window. Um, our time isn't our own. And uh, it takes a while sometimes to work that through um, and to realize our identity isn't actually based in the workplace or as a mum. It's right. something much deeper. And I think that, that uh, deeper down hunger that you had was probably very helpful for you to make that transition. Uh, but speak to that mom that's struggling with that, that that identity is very important to them. And we all get that. Maybe she's the vice president or maybe the president of something. Uh, 
but she's 35 and now the window's closing and what I do with children. And of course, you're at least in the US, and I would think this is true again in all of our, you know, Canada, UK, the Commonwealth, there's a cultural momentum against having children. You mm-hmm. know, children are too much of a burden. They're not, you know, they cost a lot of money, all those things. Speak to that woman directly about how to prioritize those things that over the long arc of time, you're now a grandmother of four. Five, even. Yeah, five. five yeah. So, I mean, you can give that wisdom to that mm. mom listening right now mm. who is struggling with this. Yeah, I think, well, first of all, some people have to work to put bread on the table. Um, but if we're working just because um, we want to maintain a particular lifestyle, I think sometimes it's worth taking a little step back from that. I think it's worth fast forwarding. There's a lovely little saying, no one on their deathbed ever said, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. And when we look back on our lives, the things that are most important will generally be the relationships we have and the family. And so even though it seems a hard decision at the time, I think actually prioritizing that role as a mum, we're the only mum that our children can have. Mm. Um, so being able to prioritise that as best possible and, yeah, give that our energy. And fast forward to, you know, however many years' time when we look back and think, will the decisions that we make now, will we be pleased that we made them? I remember taking our youngest to school and thinking, Do you know, I am glad that I had the privilege of being able to be at home mm-hmm. um, with him and shape those values and and be there. And I recognize that's not possible for everyone, but we can, you know, we can try and keep that as our priority. Yeah, and I think keeping that importance of child rearing in mind, I mean, you, you are investing in your child, and I think it's wonderful. Jean has done such a beautiful job being at home raising the boys. You know, I'm participating, but she's the anchor. Yeah. And it's been so stabilizing to our children. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. It's time to level up. Give your kids a safe, faith-focused, and biblically-based community, and so much more. Join the Adventures in Odyssey Club. Club members get on-demand access to the exciting Adventures in Odyssey series, including more than 900 episodes. With faith-building activities, parental controls, and a safe online community, the Adventures in Odyssey Club could be your best adventure yet. Learn more and start your free trial at adventuresinodyssey.com radio. Did you know nearly 60% of American adults don't have a will in place? That's a big number, and not having a will can leave a heavy burden for family left behind. If you need a will but don't know where to begin, let Focus on the Family help. Download our resource, 15 Questions to Ask When Preparing a Will. It's our gift to you at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash PrepareMyWill. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash PrepareMyWill. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. You know, this sounds almost uh, inappropriate when you say look for child-free moments. I mean, that again could put guilt on a mom, right? What What were you intending uh, to maintain some adult sanity? I get that, you know, that it's not just doing a bunch of mommy stuff. But how do you do child-free moments? That's a really good one. Uh, When our children were little, um, I was so 
convinced that I had to be there for them, kind of 24-7. Right. Um, and Richard, my husband, asked if we would go away for a weekend. And I actually said no, because I thought somehow we were letting our children down by doing that. And I was so wrong in that because actually prioritizing our marriage and our relationship was one of the best things we could do for our children. It did take the strategic know-how of a military campaign to sort out (laughs) where they were going to go for the weekend plus pets, but we managed it. And um, that was one of the best things we did. So, But we can get little child-free moments as well. So I had a good friend and we used to do a swap on a Wednesday morning. Oh, that's good. So one Wednesday she would have, um, I think it was when the others were at school, so it was the youngest one, and she would have him one Wednesday. Um, And in that moment I could have a cup of coffee or have a sleep or tidy the house or read a book or whatever. And then the following Wednesday we'd do it the other way around and I would have her child. And not only did that give me some little bit of space, but also those children formed a really close friendship and they were actually recently best men at each other's weddings, Mm. which was really special. So it's that. And then I joined toddler groups, mums groups again, where there was someone who would care for the children and you could share with other mums and encourage each other, um, which was really important. That was the next question I was going to ask, actually, was the importance of getting out there. You know, women need social network. They need to connect. You're wired for that. I think men can tend to be a bit of a loner mentality and compartmentalize. That's our brain chemistry. But it's important for moms to connect with other moms and other women and just talk about how life is going, right? So I don't feel abnormal. These fears, these anxieties that I have, other women are having them too. Just such a relief sometimes to know that you're you're not alone, um, that someone else has a child that doesn't eat their vegetables, doesn't sleep at night, um, has a temper tantrum and won't sli- sit in the supermarket trolley or whatever the issue is. Just that those are normal things of family life. Um, yeah. Just sharing those is, is really important. So when you combine what you did uh, in family court in England and seeing these marriages break up and the impact on the children and them going off to one of the two parents and all that arrangement that would have to happen, and then your work at Care for the Family... You address in the book something that you call uh, parallel relationships or parallel living. What did you observe and how do you apply that? Yes. So in terms of um, our marriage, when our children were little, I was totally involved in the things of family life, you know, the the Play-Doh and the goldfish and the hamster and the school run and all those things. And Richard at that time was uh, building a business. And so his day, it was full on, but he was involved in emails and trying to help clients and manage teams and all that sort of thing. And it wasn't a decision we made. It was just a way of living that we drifted into. And we found we were living parallel lives and we didn't have those points of connection. And actually, that wasn't that wasn't good for our marriage, but it also wasn't good for the children either. And so a wise friend just gave us some good advice about making those points of connection, putting a date night in the diary. And yeah, over the years, that's been that's woven itself into our marriage, which I think has has been at the heart of our family. I think it's good the way you describe that, the unintentionality of parallel living. I like that because I don't think anybody sets out to say, let's see how far apart we can drift. It's just life takes over, right? And busyness takes over. And you have to work at keeping things together. And uh, sometimes you're just so distracted, you don't think about it. Here in the U.S., one of the startling statistics that we have is what they call the graying of divorce the empty nest divorce. And it's mostly women who are applying for those divorce papers because 
the kids go and they go, I don't know you anymore mm-hmm. and I don't think I love you anymore and I think our time is done. That's an example, an egregious example of what happens with drift, right? Absolutely. We look across the room and the children have left and we think, what have we got in common? Because we've spent all our time either doing our own thing or only talking about the children. That's the other thing that can happen. It can be our whole relationship is about administration. You know, who's going to take which child where, when? And of course, that's important. And we've got to have those conversations. But it's important also to have fun and to find times when we can connect together. Yeah. Catherine, let's end on a high note, I think. Uh, Proverbs 17:22, a joyful heart is good medicine. Uh, that was an important Bible verse for you in your parenting journey. I think it's a good thing to remember for all of us in our marriages, as well as in our parenting, a joyful heart. Do this with a joyful heart. I think laughter in the home is really important. There's lots of science that backs that up as well as um, as well as that lovely verse in Proverbs. And my husband's always been really good at this. And I've had to work harder sometimes because I you know, think, right, we're about to get the children to bed and suddenly there'll be some game happening and they're all excited. And I think, oh, gosh. But, you know, he, he's <laughs> had it that. right. We had, um, we had a sleepover party once, yes. uh, which uh, was one of our children's birthdays. And so all these boys, and it was really early hours of the morning, and they definitely should have been asleep. And I said to Richard, please, will you just go and get these children? children to sleep and so um, out he got of, of bed and my son's room had a little trap door from the attic and next thing I hear instead of them quietening down there was this massive commotion and he had got a huge water pistol and had gone in through this trap door and these kids Your husband. Had, my husband <laughs> and these kids had had the best water fight ever and I've always remembered that and tried to stop myself just making the schedule go along as if as I thought it should be and allow time for laughter and for fun and just hanging out together. Um, it's I love really the, powerful. the attitude of Richard. That's so funny. <laughs> yes, hun, rightio. I'll take care of that. I'll be back in a moment. And uh, goes and fills up the water pistol and starts was <laughs> going after the kids. That's hilarious. Catherine, this has been so good. And what great uh, advice there is for all of us as parents, moms and dads. And I hope... Hope you're hearing the practical advice that is really here for you. And I would love to get this great resource into your hands. And if you can uh, contact us here at Focus, if you simply need it and you can't afford it, let us know. And we'll trust others will cover the cost of that. But if you can support the ministry, monthly is terrific. It helps even out the budget. But a one-time gift is good as well. We'll send it as our way of saying thank you for being part of the ministry. And there's so much more to help uh, you in your parenting journey here at Focus. Certainly Catherine's book, but uh, parenting assessments and other things, John, right. that parents can tap into. You can find the details and request a copy of Catherine's book. If you forget everything else, remember this, all at our website. It's focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or call 800, the letter A and the word family. 800-232-6459. Catherine, uh, we're going to hold you. You're not going to get on that plane yet for the UK. We're going to do another day if you're willing. And let's come back tomorrow and keep talking about this. Brilliant. Thanks so much. And thanks so much for joining us today for Focus on the Family. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, I'm John Fuller. Be with us next time as we continue the conversation with Catherine Hill and once more help you and your family thrive in Christ. listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. 
Stay tuned. Oh, hey, Mike. Got here as soon as I could. What's going on, man? Hey, I just wanted to give you an update on my marriage. Is it good news? Yeah. Our marriage is going great right now. I couldn't be happier. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. It's like a solid 5 out of 10. (laughs) Having a marriage that's just okay isn't where couples really want to live. Give yourself and your spouse an all-inclusive weekend where you'll slow your pace and focus on each other. Get more details at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash getaway. I think guilt does come with the territory in parenting, and we can feel guilty if they don't eat their broccoli, if they pinch their siblings, if they're not doing well at school, if... Um, if we feel that they're not doing the things that society expects them to be doing at that particular stage or age, so often as mums, um, we, we start looking at ourselves and we think, what have I done wrong? What could I do better? And sometimes there are things that we can do yeah. better, but generally guilt isn't a, isn't a good thing. It just holds us back and weighs us down and God doesn't want us to go around with that weight of guilt. That's Catherine Hill describing some better ways that we can parent our children. And uh, one of our goals here at Focus on the Family is to help you be the best mom or dad you can be. So lean in and listen in as we have more from Catherine, her insights and her encouragement today. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, we had a very practical conversation last time with Catherine. And, you know, when I'm thinking about it, there's so much great biblical truth in marriage and parenting. I mean, the Lord has wired us, Mm -hmm. and when we as Christians can tap into that wisdom and then uh, share it with others, it's such a beautiful thing, and that's what we're trying to do every day here at Focus on the Family. Uh, It does have nuts and bolts components to it, but it really is about the spiritual impact on your children over the long haul. These kids need to be loved. They need to feel that they're loved, regardless of how they behave, and that behavior is something you shape over time. And I'm excited to continue the discussion with Catherine. Last time she explained that we don't need to be superhero parents. Did you ever feel like that? I had occasions to (laughs) be knocked off that pedestal. Come on, give the ball to Trent. Let him run it. (laughs) The superhero. Uh, But also she addressed the guilt that many parents feel, especially moms, just that general guilt of if I'm not doing the job right. Look at their crying. Why would my kids be crying? And then Catherine gave us some great reminders like keeping your marriage a priority during the parenting year because uh, unfortunately so many uh, marriages are breaking up after the kids leave the home and that is not a good testimony about your Christian faith. Uh, Simply put, this is solid stuff and if you missed the conversation last time, uh, you can tap into our website or get the smartphone download to reconnect with that episode last time and certainly I'm glad you're here for this episode. And Catherine Hill, as we mentioned last time, is the director for Care for the Family, which is a sister ministry, if you will, to focus on the family in the UK. Uh, Catherine and her husband, Richard, have four grown children and five grandchildren, and she's written a number of books. Uh, One we're covering today is, If You Forget Everything Else, Remember This, Parenting in the Primary Years. And you can get your copy when you call 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Catherine, welcome back to Focus. Thank you. Let me, let me before we get into the parenting side, uh, I love the story of your father, and you, you touched on that even at chapel the other day, but um, he lived to be 100 years 100 old. 100 years old. And you had a, it seemed like quite a loving and unique relationship with him. So 
let's just ask that question. What did you learn from your dad? Yeah, he he married. My, he was a little bit older than my mother. Um, married when he was a little bit older, and yeah, as you say, lived to be a hundred, and honestly, lived life to the full huh. until a few months just before he died. And she died on Christmas Day. Oh my goodness! Um, had Christmas Day with us as a family, and then died that evening. And in many ways, he was a bit of a Father Christmas. He was someone who was incredibly kind and generous, um, very gentle. I don't think. I can't remember ever having heard him raise his voice ever uh. in all that time. Um, and uh, he was a great storyteller. So he loved to tell stories of um, how things were because he um, he was born in 1917. So, you know, he, he was born during the First World War. He had obviously lived through and fought in the Second World War and then um, became a doctor um, and just had lots and lots of wonderful stories. Real people person. He was somebody who was always interested in other people. Um, and I, I learned a lot of those things from That's him. It's so wonderful. And yeah, you know, I can see your zeal for doing what you do coming from even what you learned from your own mother and father. Uh, let's turn the corner and move into the parenting content out of your wonderful book. Uh, a theme you address in the book is communication uh, between parents and their children. I think you had a kind of a funny story about one of your sons who... Uh, I've never experienced this, has said, I'm too sick to go to school today. (laughs) (laughs) All of a sudden, every parent's radar goes up. Okay, now you got to pass the test. Are you really too sick, right? So what happened in that situation? Well, yeah, he came down to breakfast and said he was was much too unwell. He'd been sick, couldn't go to school. Mm. But he didn't look that ill. But he said no. He had he had been sick. And he took me to the bathroom to show me the evidence um, in the loo. And I said, "Okay, well, in that case, you better go to bed. Don't go to school." And then I went downstairs, and I was a little bit suspicious because he didn't like nuts or raisins, and he would always eat some rice krispies or something for breakfast. And on the table in the kitchen was this open packet of muesli, um, kind of oatmeal, oatmeal, yeah, with um, yeah raisins and stuff yeah. in it. And I thought, I know what he's done. And he had (laughs) chucked this oatmeal down the loo and pretended that he'd been sick and had fooled his mother. Um, So I was mad with him. I was mad with him for doing that, but also mad that now I had him at home all day and he should have been at school. But, you know, it wasn't till the evening that I sat down with him and went a little bit behind what was going on. And what had happened is they had had swimming lessons at school and he'd been put in a group that was much too difficult. And so he was really worried about yeah, going to he school. and uh, Anxious about it. And so had done this whole thing with the oatmeal down the loo just, just to, you know, so he didn't have to go to school. So we managed to chat about it. And uh, then the next day, it was so easy to fix. I talked to the teacher and she put him back in the class he should have been in and all was well. But I had missed that because I didn't yeah. really look behind and hadn't made time time to to talk to him about what was going on. Isn't that so true in the parenting effort? You you know, when the kids are uh, exhibiting behavior that is uh, concerning, there usually is something behind it. So right. And if you can just slow down long enough, which really gets to the next question, which is to give your full attention when you're engaging your children, it's a bit convicting to a multitasker whether you're mom or dad, speak to the importance of that and the illustration that you had in the book. Well, particularly in the digital age, I think it's so easy for us to get engaged in our phones and all our children then see is the back of our phones. You know, when we pick them up from school, if the first thing we do when we come in the house is checking our emails and they can't, we can't engage 
with them. And they don't know if we're fixing up a play date, if we're looking up a recipe for their tea, or if we're just scrolling through social media. So that would be one thing. But one time that this really was brought home to me, our daughter had been at a friend's house and they'd seen a film and it was really exciting film and it involved a princess and a castle and a horse and a dog, <laughs> a whole load of other things. And she was sitting next to me at the table and wanting to tell me about this film, blow by blow account, minute by minute. And it was incredibly boring. <laughs> but <clears throat> next to me on the table was a magazine and it had the title was 10 ways to have a tidy house and at that particular moment in our family there was lego all over the floor there were wet towels the house was a mess and that was much more interesting it was so much more interesting so i was just looking and quickly flicking at this uh this magazine and she said mommy you're not listening and i said oh i am darling i am listening and she said no you need to listen with your eyes wow and she was right. How old was she when she, she said She was that? probably about six, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Out of the mouth of babes, right? So, and giving our children eye contact, it, if they're little, you know, we can cup their little face in our hands and just gives them that, that message that they're valued, that they're important, that we're interested in their lives. And, you know, so much of that is awareness. We can be very unintentionally sending them a signal that we don't care we don't see it as that because, you know, mom and dad, we got a lot to do and, you know, we're hearing you. Yeah, we're hearing you. But they're feeling like they're ignoring me. And they're, the things that are concerning us in the day, you know, that we've got to get a meal on the table, get the washing done. Right. We've got to get a report in for work. They're not the things that are concerned. They're concerned about in their world. You know, uh, you shared something at chapel that really caught my attention. I'll just tuck it in here and ask you about it because you talked about a father whose young son was trying to get him to go outside to play, kept saying, Dad, can we go outside? In a minute, in a minute. Comes back, Dad, can we go? Can we go outside and play? I said, in a minute. And then again, he came back and asked him, let's go play, Dad. And he said, can't you see I'm busy? And he was on his phone. And his son walked away and said, you're a much nicer father before that phone. Mm. Wow. Mm. That is a convicting statement. Yeah. yeah. And this dad, even when he told us this, I mean, he said it was a real light bulb moment, turnaround moment for him. And he, he just realized that um, the message he'd been giving his child was that what was on the phone was much more important than him. You know, one of the things, Catherine, um, we pick up on that. I mean, I would say that we're sensitive to those things because of what we do. I mean, we're in this. We want to see families do so much better and for marriages to hold together. Sometimes a dad or maybe even a mom, they'll, they'll miss that moment. They don't even hear what's going on. How do they slow down enough to learn that lesson and what their child's actually saying to them? Yeah, and it is hard and life goes on and there are reports and that have to be submitted by deadlines. But uh, I think it's being intentional. It's making those moments. So uh, when our children were little, uh, we decided on a Saturday morning, one of us would take one of them um, out mm. for, for breakfast on a Saturday That's morning. That's great. Yeah, the deal was that uh, they could choose which one of us they went with and it was the idea was to give that space and that time that was focused on them we often didn't talk about really important things it would be the latest hair braid or who'd won the the match or whatever right. but just sometimes there were those moments that are gone before we realize that they're there when they could talk about something um that was bothering them and looking back there's just been one or two conversations that happened on those saturday mornings so i would say to any mom or dad that is really struggling to find that time just plan it put it in the diary and think about 
about what your child it's not so much what you're doing but just it's that space yeah. um, where they can they can have that time yeah. with you this focus on the family broadcast will continue in just a moment It's time to level up. Give your kids a safe, faith-focused, and biblically-based community, and so much more. Join the Adventures in Odyssey Club. Club members get on-demand access to the exciting Adventures in Odyssey series, including more than 900 episodes. With faith-building activities, parental controls, and a safe online community, the Adventures in Odyssey Club could be your best adventure yet. Learn more and start your free trial at adventuresinodyssey.com radio. You know that situation your family's facing? It's okay to ask for professional help. Focus on the Family's Christian Counselors Network can confidentially point you to a trusted therapist near you. We've been connecting families to verified Christian counselors for more than 40 years. Find a way forward for your family at focusonthefamily.com slash get help. That's focusonthefamily.com slash get help. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Catherine, I'm assuming this is true in the UK, uh, in Canada, in the US, and other places, but there seems to be, in the parenting approach, there's this pendulum. On the one extreme, it's kids can set their own boundaries, you know, it helps them to become adults. And some of that, there's some truth to that, but you've got to be really wise as to what boundary they should be setting for themselves. The other end of that is, and typically, again, I think Christian homes tend to have this, a whole list of rules and regulations, and here are the family rules. I remember Gene and I put those up on the wall. There's like 15 of them. I said, I'm not sure if that's the way to go. You know, let's get down to just a couple that they can remember. There are only three. (laughs) (laughs) But speak to that first dichotomy of this permissiveness versus overregulation mm-hmm. and what's healthy. And then, uh, you know, what's a good approach when it comes to the boundaries and the rules for a healthy Christian home? Yeah, so you're so right. There are the two extremes. Um, one I think experts call authoritarian parenting. Right. So lots and lots of rules, if you, as you have just described, and every single one of them enforced. And the trouble is with that style of parenting, our children can feel hemmed in. There's, of course, we need boundaries. They're really important, but there's no room for creativity or independence. Um, But then the other end of the spectrum is called permissive. And that's kind of anything goes, no rules. And plenty of room for discovering themselves and independence, but they feel unsafe. And our children need boundaries, if only to push against. Right. Um, so the best style of parenting is called assertive, which is it's kind of in the middle. So it's having as few rules as possible about the things that really matter, that are in line with our family values, and then making sure that we follow through and enforce them. And then mm. that gives that freedom um, for some independence, but also the security of knowing knowing the boundaries. I think a great example of that are the three Ds. I think a friend of yours suggested this or displayed this and you observed it, but the three Ds, that's kind of what we're talking about. Not 15, 20 things, but three Ds. What are the three Ds? So for us, they were uh, dishonesty. So if they told a lie, Um, disrespect. So if they were disrespectful to another person, if they were rude to them or damaged their possession or something like that. And then thirdly, disobedience so uh, if we asked them to do something and they had uh, 
they had not done it or they deliberately done something that was they were not meant to do. And someone described it to us as being a little bit like a triangle, mm. those three Ds, and they could do anything they liked within that. But those were the things, if they crossed the line, um, that there would be some consequences for. And we found that that sort of worked well for us, certainly in these early years of parenting. Yeah, and I, you know, it simplifies the parenting role too. It helps you concentrate on what really is a mountain, not what is a mohill, as we say. Yes, and that that's very helpful because I think, and Gene. Uh, you know, Jean and I struggle with this because I leaned a little more slack and she was a little more strict. And that's good balance, too. And then we'd talk about it at night when we laid our head on the pillow. And uh, But I think hearing each other in the parenting role, too, is good. And I think Jean would say, you know, she's kind of mellowed from the rules. And I would say I learned a lot about having boundaries for the kids and how healthy that is. So it's good to have that communication within mom and dad's dialogue, right? Absolutely. So being unified, being on the same page as as much as possible. Uh, I think if there's a little chink of light between us, our children are pretty good at at getting in between us. So just, yeah, being on the same page. And I think choosing together what are the battles to fight? Uh, Because so often I think we can go after the wrong things and make a big deal of, of something that's little. And then we haven't got anything left for when the big issues do come around. There was one time when one of our children had got a new wetsuit. We'd been on holiday to Cornwall and we were going out for an evening meal with a friend and the the pizza place we were going to was just across this little bit of, of river and they'd got a, a kind of little dinghy that we all were going to pile in and go across for this pizza. So everyone got ready to go out for a meal, apart from Ed, who was about six, I think. And he had decided that he needed to wear this wetsuit because we were going in a boat. And I could not persuade him to uh, (laughs) get his proper clothes on for going out uh, for the meal. And I kept everyone waiting. And eventually I thought, does it matter? So off we went. Everyone dressed up for this nice meal and him in a wetsuit. And I remember we got to the door of the restaurant and the, the waitress opened the door and she said, oh, how far have you come? She said. <laughs> and he had this meal in this wetsuit. He got really hot. Yeah. Uh, every time he wanted to go to the bathroom, um, there, it took ages to peel him out of this thing. Oh, and there right. was a long queue. Um, but, you know, it was such a fun evening. And I'm yeah. telling you about it now, so many years later. And we'd have missed that if I'd made a big deal about what he was to wear. That's funny. I thought you were going to say the, the dinghy tipped over and he was the only one that stayed <laughs> well, warm. Now, and... that would have been really good. He'd have had the last laugh. He'd be talking about that story yeah, now, too. Yeah. Uh, you encourage couples to be proactive about finding a community of friends uh, that can support them through the good times and the bad times. Um, why is that sense of community so critically important? It's so important. There's a a lovely phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. And I think that we just need, we need grandparents, we need sports coaches, we need trusted other adults uh, in our children's lives that that can speak to them, that they can go to when actually sometimes that that communication isn't going so well maybe um, with us. And certainly being intentional and looking out for those relationships as something we can we can share together yeah. is I, really important. I think in the US we've we've become very isolated. I'm not yeah. sure if that's true in the UK, but the sense of the village is uh, something of the past. I mean, we put our garage door opener 
up and we drive in and we close it and we go about our business in the walls of our home. Some people don't even know their neighbors. Some people don't want to know their neighbors. Uh, but that that is a, a very different environment than 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, I mean, years and years ago, when Care for the Family was first started, I would say um, there would have been family just down the street. So, you know, if a child was having a temper tantrum or um, a teenager was just having an argument or whatever had happened, a baby had a sleep, you're having a sleepless night with a baby, there would have been a, an aunt, a grandmother, somebody just down the end of the road that you could uh, talk to for yeah. advice. And that has changed. I think COVID has particularly yeah. changed that. For that us. feels very isolating. Very I mean, that's isolating. Uh, back yeah. to the original question. That's why you want to get out, get community. If you can do that through a church, that's best, I believe, as a Christian, because uh, it should be a good experience for you. Um, let's close with spiritual discipline for children. Uh, this can be a point of despair for so many parents. Because the late teens and the 20s is stretch your wing, uh, be your own boss kind of time, right? They leave for sometimes for university or vocational training or they get into a job, they leave the home. You're seeing a very light uh, expression on mm. the faith side. So then you get really concerned. Have we done a good enough job, et cetera? But you described uh, back yesterday with Mrs. M, you know, the behavior thing when your kids were little and how well-behaved her kids were and how not so well-behaved your kids were in church. Fast forward that to when they're a little older and maybe you're not seeing the kind of godly values that you'd hope to, that they would have left the home as pastors and ministers. <laughs> and, uh, but speak to that uh, area of that mom or dad's heart that's grieving a bit. Yeah. So it's so good. I mean, I've got personal experience of that. You know, our four children, we have prayed as hard. We have done the same with each one and they're on different places right. um, on their journey of faith. So I think one of the things I found really helpful is not to be so black and white that we very readily put them in this prodigal box uh, just because just at the moment they're not going to church now of course we can't go the whole nine yards with that um, you know Jesus died for them and uh, we don't want to become universalists but equally I think if we look at the heart and um, we can so often see in the kids that maybe don't love going to church but there's so much of the kingdom in them and they are showing the fruit of the spirit in their lives that actually makes glad the heart of God but as parents we so easily I do go on that guilt trip of if only if only we had had family devotions or we hadn't had family devotions we used to try family devotions and it was always a cue for World War 3 honestly <laughs> with so, boys particularly yeah. boys just struggle yeah. with sitting still we, and listening exactly why can't we do this yeah. so we found um in those early years, just praying little and often as they were going out the door to school um, before meals, that worked for us. But just sowing those seeds in the everyday things of family life. But I think, yes, as parents, as our children start to make those decisions for themselves, it can be incredibly painful. Um, but I think we need to hang on to the fact that, you know, God himself has trouble with his children. Uh, he had, you know, the perfect father um, in the perfect environment and his children went away. He didn't want them to go. 
And so he understands, he understands our pain, but also the prayer that we can pray that we absolutely know um, that will really hear, God will hear is that our children come to that living relationship right. with him. That's totally his heart for you them. Know, sometimes it's that battle. And I don't know about all three of us here at the table, but I'm sure the listeners and the viewers are experiencing this if they have 20-something children, most likely, or 30-something children. The kids, the adult kids, they have got to make the faith their own. Yeah. They can't live off your umbilical cord, so to speak, the spiritual umbilical cord. And that is a process. And sometimes they have to go through valleys. They've got to experience things. They've got to hear the voice of the Lord in their heart for themselves. And all those things have to occur. But you're in that point of desperation. With that, let me end with this. You and Richard, how do you talk to each other about it as parents? Uh, what do you say to one another to comfort each other in that way? Yeah, that's a really good question, Jim. I think, well, going back that that verse, train a child in the way they will go, and when they're older, they won't depart from it. And just reminding each other that that is not a cast iron guarantee, but it is it is wisdom and it is how things generally work out. And I think just being able to pray together for we pray every day for our children, um, for other things as well, but we pray every day. And our greatest prayer is always that um, they come back to a living relationship with mm-hmm. their father. And then just not allowing each other to go on the guilt trip and thinking that somehow we're in control of our children's uh, relationship with God. As parents, we so often, um, in all, all the things we've been talking about on this podcast, we want to we want to be in control, but actually we can do our best and we can put mm. put sow those seeds. But actually, it's ultimately it's their decision. And I think reminding each other of that and not allowing each other to, to sort of spiral downwards, um, that would yeah. be that would be a good one. And again, in your case, what's, you know, what's real about that is two of the kids are doing well in, in their faith journey. The other two are kind of bumping along. And that's good, too. And never underestimate the power of the sibling conversation, mm-hmm. right? Because exactly. there's something going on there, too, exactly. that's out of mom and dad's control. So yeah. it's beautiful. And uh, Catherine, thank you so much again for being with us. This is good. Very, I just love it. It's just so refreshing to hear these, you know, straightforward truths about what we need to be mindful of. The three D's, Mrs. M, (laughs) the wonderful hundred year old father. You've touched on so many good things here. And I hope uh, you have heard Catherine's heart and she's done a wonderful job writing uh, in this book, those things that you need to remember. It's called, if you forget everything else, remember this parenting in the primary years. Uh, Just as a little side note, I remember talking to Chuck Colson and he said, your child's moral fabric is going to be formed by the age of 10. Think of that. Mm. The the foundations are there. You've done the job. And if you're with three, four, five-year-olds right now, be mindful of that. That's already taking shape. And then the rest is just the bumper guards, right? It's just the boundaries that they're going to be going through as, as teenagers. If you would like help in your parenting journey, or if you're a grandparent that would like to help your adult children in their parenting journey, get a hold of us. Get a copy of Catherine's book. If you can make a gift of any amount, we'll send it as our way of saying thank you. If you can do that monthly, it really helps the ministry here reach more families for Christ. Donate as you can when you get in touch. And our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. And uh, we've got further details about Catherine's book. If you forget everything else, remember this, Parenting in the Primary Years. 
Stop by FocusOnTheFamily.com slash broadcast to get your copy. Catherine, great to have you here. Safe travels back to the UK. Thanks for spending time with us. Thanks so much. You've been an incredibly generous host. It's been wonderful. Thank Mm. you. So glad to have you with us today for Focus on the Family. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once more help you and your family thrive in Christ.